All right, we are, uh, we're going to finish up our study of those seven rhythms that we talk about through Rooted, and uh, we'll do that. And then next Wednesday, everybody online, everybody online, everybody in here, next Wednesday, no service because of Thanksgiving. Everybody say no service. All right, I forgot to announce that the last time. So, uh, but no service uh, the week before Thanksgiving. And then we're going to come back uh, on November the 30th and uh, jump in for a two-week series as we get ready to head into December and Christmas and get ready for all of that stuff. All right? Everybody good with that? All right. Everybody's really, really quiet tonight. It's almost as if you don't know that the bears are getting better every week. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, how many of you are empty nesters? Come on, if you're an empty nester, you should be raising your hand loud and proud, right? Yeah. So Carmen and I are empty nesters. Those of you that don't know, that means we have no children bugging us to death. And they've all, they've all gone. And it's, I'll be honest with you, it's weird. I mean, I'm 58 years old, and for the first time in 37 years, I haven't had... A child around, in constant need, disagreeing, telling me how stupid I am, right? 30, 37 years, and then one day you wake up, and they're just gone. And, you know, being the more emotional one in our family, I took it a little harder than Carmen did, but it's it takes a little while to get used to being an empty nester. At least it is me, because it's such a weird dynamic going from schedules Places to take your children, constant need to coming home, and it just being you and her. It's a very different world we're living in, and we're trying to learn how to do it. And that reminded me of a story that I heard. There were there were there was a panel discussion going on at a conference, and in one of the conference rooms, there was a there was a ministerial group gathered together, and the question that was asked from the audience was, "When does life begin?" And so they asked the Baptist preacher first, and the Baptist preacher said, well, it's easy. Life begins at conception. And then they asked the Presbyterian minister, when does life begin? And he said, I disagree. Life begins at birth. And so then they asked the Roman Catholic priest, and he said, I think maybe you're both wrong. Maybe it's a compromise. Maybe life doesn't begin until there's a heartbeat around the second or third month. And at the end of the panel was a Jewish rabbi who wasn't paying a lick of attention. As a matter of fact, they had to nudge him to get him to pay attention. And they asked him the question. And he leaned really close to the microphone and he said, all of my fellow, all of my fellow ministers are wrong. He said, life begins the minute your last child leaves home. And the dog that they left behind escapes. Right? So we're trying to find that, right? We're trying to find out how to learn how to do that. And so tonight we're going to talk about worship. And I say that, you know, I told that joke because I, for me, I laughed and thought it was funny. But I tell that joke because I think worship is one of those things that we need to learn about, right? We call this room, right? When you come into a church and you see a big room like this, what do they call this room? The what? The worship center, Right? Sanctuary at some of your places, but it's the worship center. When you come to church on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you're coming to the what service? The worship service, right? 
We say those words, and yet I'm not sure at times we get what worship actually is. So my musical friends, my my friends that are in ministry that do worship, they get aggravated at times when I preach about worship because they think I don't get music. Listen, I get music. I love music. I understand music in regard to that. What I don't think we understand is what worship actually is at some level. So there's a million. Listen, we could talk about worship for the next six months, right? There's so many ways to go. But I want to just walk through Three basic teachings about worship that I think will help us in regard to what is worship. Before we do that, I just want to read a passage of scripture in Psalm 95. Psalmist writes this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. He says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let's bow down in worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I had did or what I had done. For 40 years, he said, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Psalm 29 says. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You can read hundreds of verses in scripture that refer to worship, right? Refer to reverence and honor and praise in regard to God. The one thing about, the one thing about God is He is not shy when it comes to asking you and I and everything that He has made to worship Him. Right? So much so that Exodus 34 says this, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is, is a jealous God. Listen, we've talked about this before. If you're new, this might be new to you. But at the end of the day, God is in a fight for somebody wanting to be God. And God is a consuming fire and jealous to the point that he wants everything that his hands have made to praise the Lord. Amen? Listen, God is incredibly, incredibly jealous when it comes to people worshiping him. He has no room or tolerance for people who worship other people. And here's the thing about worship, right? There's a, there's a lot of words in the Hebrew language, a lot of words in the Greek language that we in our English Bibles interpret worship. But there is one word in the Hebrew language and one word in the Greek language that come before all the other words to describe ultimately what worship is. And ultimately what worship is, it is the act of bowing down, 
right? As so to be prostrate before something to actually kiss the hand, right? The act of worship, as we read, is to bow down, right? In the Greek and the Hebrew, those two primary words mean the exact same thing. That if you and I are going to worship God, it's an act of humility and acknowledgement before God of who he is. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? Worship. Worship consists of a multitude, a multitude of other actions. But at the end of the day, worship is first and foremost an act of you and I in complete surrender to God, not in regard to what we do, but in regard to who he is. It's about bowing down before the Lord our God, the God who made heaven and earth, the God who formed you in your mother's womb. Worship is an act of acknowledging that. And it's that act, that act that I want to focus on when we talk about what worship is. There's a, there's a lot of other things that come with worship and we'll talk about some of them, but the primary, because remember God is a God of order. The primary and the first step of worship is that acknowledgement because without an acknowledgement, That God is who he is and that God is the God of the universe who created everything. That he is the Lord our God. There's no worship. There might be acts of reverence and words of praise, but there's no worship. And so it's that act that I want to talk about today. And here's the thing. Nobody sitting in this room. Nobody standing on this stage. And nobody watching online knows whether or not you're worshiping. Right, We walk out of the worship center and people will say, man, what an amazing worship service. But here's the thing about worship. It comes from one place. It comes from your heart. And here's the thing. You don't know my heart and I don't know your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 11 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Right? It's the Lord that examines our heart. Right? That's why David prayed, Lord, search me. Right? Search me and try me, right? Create in me a clean heart because worship is an individual choice for every person in here and everybody who's watching online. It's a choice you make that in your heart you acknowledge God for who He is, not for what He's done for you, but for who He is. And that's the act of worship that I'll refer to tonight when I speak of worship. So let's just talk about a few things in regard to worship. Here's the first one. Worship and praise. Did you know that the Hebrew word for praise is different than the Hebrew word for worship? Right? You ever been to a praise and worship service? Right? Again, worship is a difficult thing to measure because it's in here. Praise is a really, really simple thing to measure. So, in the Hebrew, the... The, the Hebrew word for praise is one of my favorite words in all of the Hebrew language, right? The Hebrew word for praise is halal. In, in our, right, transliteration, it's H-A-L-L-A-L. Halal. Which you mean, which to me, I hear the word halal, right? Right? That's what praise is, right? And here's the great thing about that Hebrew word, halal. What it means is to put a spotlight on something. It literally means to make it clear, 
right, is what the word means to make it clear and by extension to put a light on it to where you can see it most clear. Check out this picture. This is a picture of my, of our second floor um, patio, second floor balcony. I don't know if you can see it very well. So this is our, this is our apartment. So this is the first floor, right? Can you see Santa? He's big and obnoxious, right? And this is, this is our, this is our balcony. And just so we're clear, I had nothing to do with this. Okay. And I don't know if you can tell in this window here, right? But this is a Christmas tree. And right here and right here are two different Grinches. Okay. Now you can't see it very well just because of the magnification. But anybody that's walking in the apartment complex sees these very well. And you want to know why? Because my wife went on Amazon and she bought two, not one, but two spotlights, right? And these spotlights are sitting on the windowsill here and here, and they are pointed directly at the Grinches so that when you walk by our apartment, you see nothing but two Grinches in our window, right? Because apparently at our house this year, we're celebrating a Grinch style Christmas, which means I get to be Santa. Okay. But the Hebrew word hala is that picture. It's the picture of taking a spotlight and putting it on something. So it's incredibly clear to see. So listen to these verses. Listen to Psalm 63. And honey, if you're watching, I did that for you because I knew that you would be proud of that picture. All right. (laughs) Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you. He says in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Anybody ever feel like they're living in a dry and weary land? Yes or no? Right. And the psalmist says, it's in that place I seek you. He said, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I've seen who you are and I've seen it in a dry and weary place. And I've seen it in the sanctuary. I've seen and I know who you are. He says, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. He says, I will what? Hala, right? I will holla. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will what? Lift up my hands. People talk about silly things like, why do you lift up your hands? Listen, all over scripture, people who put a spotlight on God for who he is, they lift up their voices, they lift up their hands, and they make sure everybody around them sees God for who he is. That's what praise is. Somebody say amen. It's not worship. Praise is a spotlight that goes up toward God. Worship, worship is the act of us prostrating ourselves before a God who is the Lord God, who is the one who made heaven and earth. Praise is our response. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with the riches of foods with singing lips. My mouth will what? And so people come to church and they don't want to sing and they don't want to lift up their voice. Because they say, well, that's not worship. No, it's not. But you know what it is? It's praise. It's spotlighting God. It's putting the focus on him. 
right? And what does the psalmist say? The psalmist says in Psalm 22, he says this, the poor are going to eat and they're going to be satisfied. They who what? The Lord. Everybody say the word seek. He says, they who seek the Lord will what? Listen, if you're here tonight, you're in this room online. Listen, if you seek the Lord, if he's somebody you desire and you, and you go after, you know what a natural response to seeking God is? It's to praise him. It's to praise him. And listen, you want to know why we like corporate worship? Because even though those spotlights are on the Grinch, they're really small. They actually only cost about 20 bucks for the two of them. And when we're done with Grinch, I plan on using them for me when I walk through the house, right? I plan on having them for me, but they're very small. And here's the thing. The bigger the spotlight, the better you see what's in front of the spotlight. If Carmen really wanted people to see the Grinch, she'd put a big old spotlight on them. But we put a small one on there. You know what corporate worship, corporate praise and worship does? You know what corporate singing does? The corporate raising of our hands does? It puts a spotlight on who? It praises a spotlight on God. Can you worship alone? Of course you can. Can you worship in your car? Yes, because the worship is an act of my heart. Understanding who God is and responding in humility before a God who is the only true God. But my praise, missing my praise, when the psalmist says God inhabits or dwells in the praise of his people, plural. You know what he's saying? The spotlight on me gets bigger when the more of you put your lips and your hands together in praise. That's why we want you to be here. We don't say, listen, people say, well, I'd worship God in the woods. Of course you can. I've watched Chicago Bears football game and worship my tail off, right? Right? I have been bowed down prostrate before God. Please, God, let him win, right? Right? I've done that. You can worship alone. You can worship in the woods. You can worship in your car. You can worship online. But you know what you can't do? You can't praise corporately and make the spotlight bigger when you're by yourself. Psalmist says this in Psalm 69, 30. He says this, I'm going to praise God's name in what? In song, and I'm going to glorify him with thanksgiving. How many of you ever give God praise in your car when you're listening to music? Right? Listen, some of you are great singers in your car. Amen? Yeah. And here's the thing. You're all a bunch of chickens when you get in here. Right? Because the minute the, the, the musicians stop and they let us sing on our own, we're like, Jesus. But in the car, you're like, woo! Right? Right? You're all over it. He says, I'm going to, he says this, what? Praising God. He says, is going to please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and its hooves. You know what he's saying? Praise means more to God than your sacrifice. Praise means more to God than your sacrifice. Listen, for some of you getting together in a corporate setting could be a sacrifice. And you make that the thing. Listen, you know what God is pleased with more than your sacrifice to him? It's your praise of him. Because listen to what the praise of God does when you put a spotlight on him. It does this. The poor will what? The poor will see your praise and they will be glad. The poor will see your praise and be glad. You who seek God, God may your hearts live. You want to have an impact on the people that we minister to? The impact on the people that we serve? Let them see your God. You want to know how they see your God? Praise him. Put a spotlight on him. And listen, when there are 200 of us in here, it's a great spotlight. 
When there are 2,000 of us together, it is a massive spotlight. People talk about, well, I don't want to be a part of a big church. Why not? Because the more of us that gather together, the bigger the spotlight and the more our community sees our God. Because praise isn't about me. Praise is about doing something in response to who God is. It's my chance to open my mouth and my lips, right? It's my chance to extol the Lord for who He is. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let us, what? Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Listen, how many times you've been in, in a praise service, right? Where we pray that worship takes place and somebody gets really loud and they're like, you know, about, and everybody's like, ooh, who's that weirdo, right? What's, what's happening, right? As if somehow, as if somehow shouting aloud to the Lord, or to the rock of our, our, our salvation is wrong. Now listen, I'm not saying, listen, don't be the person that comes in here and does it just to draw attention to yourself? Our safe team will drag you out quicker than you know what this, right? Just kidding, right? But don't make this about you. Praise is about a chance for that section and that section and this section and this section and this section and everybody in the back row. It's a chance for us to put our lips together and our hands high in the air and let our praise be heard and let it please our God and let those who don't know him see him clearly through our praise. Do you think praise is important? Yeah, it's massively important. He says, let's sing for joy to the Lord, right? Let's shout to the rock of our, our, our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with what? Music and song, right? He says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. He goes on to say, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. Seas his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let's bow down in worship. Again, bowing down before the worship, right? They both mean the same thing, right? The word bow down and worship practically mean the same thing because what worship is first, it's your position before him. Listen, there is no such thing as a prideful worshiper of God. There is only humility before the God of our salvation, before the God of the universe, before God of all creation. That's why God says there is only one God. I am the Lord God, have no others before me, he says, because I'm a jealous God. Why? Because he's the only one that can claim that, right? So he says, we've got to bow down and worship him. But you know what we do after we worship him? We praise him. We put the spotlight on him. I mean, listen, how many of you, how many of you grandparents in here and Grandparents online, and how many of you parents in here, right, have pictures of your kids on your phones? And how many of you aren't shy about sharing them? Yeah, you are annoying people, okay? Right, because in reality, listen, in reality, you know what you're doing? When you take a picture and you open it up, you're putting a spotlight on who? Your child. Right? You're putting a spotlight on them. You want people to what? See them. You want people to see them and go, they're so amazing and beautiful. And you know what the rest of us think about your kids and grandkids? They're not near as cute as ours, right? Right? But that's why we do it. Right? We want, we want our children and our grandchildren to be seen. And so we show people. You know what praise does? It does the same thing. It allows people to see God in his true light. And we do that through praise. Psalm 104, 
33 and 34 say this. I'll sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. He goes on to say, may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Man, I absolutely love it. When we come to gather together, when we have our service and people of all ages, right? From teens all the way up through the age that some of you are that do not want it announced, right? Because we will praise God as long as we live. Amen. And then this last one in Psalm 148, Psalmist says, praise the Lord. Hala, praise the Lord. Hala from the heavens, praise him in the heights above. He says, praise him, all these angels, praise him, all his heavenly hosts, right? Praise him, sun and moon, and praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the sky. Why? Because God is a jealous God and wants the spotlight on who? He wants it on him. And you know what praise does? It puts it on him. He says, let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave them a decree that will never pass away. Listen, God loves the praise of his people. Amen? Because man, worship and praise, they go together. They go together. You can't worship God and not praise him. Listen, if you seek the Lord, praise should be a natural response. And I'm telling you, if praise is about making something clear by putting a light on it so people can see it, is it better for the church to be empty or full? Full. Full. And we get a chance to do it on Tuesday and Wednesday night and Saturday night and Sunday morning twice. We get a chance together five times in our community to put the spotlight on God by hearing our praise. And these pastors and preachers that mock all the music that's being done in the new millennium and saying it's all about us and about the individual, they're missing the point. When we open our mouth and we lift our hands and we praise our God, God is spotlighted. He's spotlighted. Only worship is known in the heart, which is why here's the second thing. Worship and our heart. Worship and our heart, right? So, you know, one of the greatest things about being a parent is telling telling your kids to do something. Amen? Right? Like I, nothing like saying to your kids, Hey, I need you to go to the store, right? Or, Hey, I need you to do the dishes or, Hey, I'm going to need you to take the trash out, right? Like favorite thing in the world, being a parent, right? Yeah, man. I, it's like, listen, you get to be a mini boss, bossing these people around. But how many of you raised kids that went ahead and did it, but they had a really cruddy attitude. And how many of you had a cruddy attitude when your parents ask you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you and I both know that it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong kind of heart. Yes or no? Yeah, we all know that. Right? There was probably something you've done this week or last week that somebody asked you to do and you didn't want to do it. And even with a bad heart, you did it anyway. Yeah, right? That's the way it works. Welcome to marriage. No, I'm just kidding, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But the heart, the heart... In those kinds of situations, listen, I always used to tell my wife as I got older, right? When I was, when I was younger as a parent, when my kids did something with a bad attitude, 
I could have cared less that they got it done. I spent the next hour lecturing them on their art. Right? Anybody else like that? I know. Listen, I'm not, I know I'm not the only parent in here that did that. I did that. Right? And I made it a point of contention as I got older. I cared less about that. I care, the one thing I cared about was, listen, I don't care what kind of attitude they got it done with. They got it done, right? That's all I cared about because you know what? It, it meant for a lot more peace if I just kept my mouth shut, right? But here's the thing about worship. It's not possible if your heart isn't in the right place. It's possible to do the dishes with a bad attitude. It's possible for your older, your older child who has a driver's license to go out to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk with a bad attitude. It's possible for, for you to say to your six year old, Hey, say thank you for that thing. And even with a bad attitude, the kid can say the word thank you. It's possible to do all of those things with a bad heart. But you know what can't be done with a bad heart? Worship. Can't be done with a bad heart. Listen to this passage in Matthew 15. Jesus, right, speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are mad at Jesus because they're saying they're dishonoring the law. They're not washing their hands and all this stuff. And Jesus says this, you hypocrites. He says, Isaiah, one of your prophets was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their what? Their lips, but their Hearts are far from me. He says they worship, right? They worship me in what? In vain. Their teaching are but rules taught by men. Jesus went on to say, listen to the, to the crowd. He said, listen and understand this. What goes in a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. And that's what makes a person unclean. And he goes on to say that the uncleanness that comes out of our mouth comes from a heart. That's unclean. So what he says is this. You try to worship me. And your heart is far from me. He says you do that in vain. The word vain there means to do something. That produces absolutely nothing. Right? It is a foolhardy venture to worship God. When your heart is far from him. And then he says this. You honor me with your lips. When your heart is far from me. Honor is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It means to establish a price for something. So for example, right? So how many of you have ever gone to a store that you knew this is probably stupid? Maybe it's never ever happened, right? How many of you have ever gone to a store because you knew in a couple days something you wanted was going to go on sale, right? And you decided to take that thing and hide it somewhere else in the store. So when you got there... It was there for you to get anybody. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you have done that, right? And here's what you've done. You've walked in and you've said, this thing here has this much value to me. So I'm going to, listen to this, I'm going to separate it and I'm going to get it for myself. Everybody got that? Right? How many of you, when you eat M&M's or, or, or those Jelly beans, you separate the yucky ones you don't want, but take the ones you want. Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah, right? That's what you're doing. That's the Hebrew word honor. You're, you're setting aside something that you value, that you've placed a value on, and you've kept it for yourself, and every, listen to this, everything else you've discarded, right? That's the Hebrew word for honor. 
Here's what he says. He says, you honor me with your lips. What you've done when your heart isn't right before God isn't worship. He says, you've honored me in vain. What that means is you decided. Listen to this. You decided what God's worth was. And that part you honor with your lips and the things that you don't value about God, you put them aside because they don't mean anything to you. You see, it's possible to come into this place. It's possible to join in online and it's possible to honor God with your lips. It's possible for you to sing the words of those songs. It's possible for you to read the words of scripture and yet your heart be in the wrong place. Because worship is ultimately an act of your what? Of your what? Of your heart. But our lips, our lips can say things to God based upon how important we think he is to us in certain areas. You see, here's the thing about God. He's either all or he's what? He's nothing. And see, what happens with people all over churches, ours included, is there are people in these spaces that worship because their heart is bowed before the God of all creation, right? The God of all eternity. There are people online and in this room every single time we gather who do nothing but worship God. Amen, church? And then there are people who gather in the middle of that who have not inclined their heart to God have hardened their heart to God, but there's something about God they value and that they will honor with their lips, but they worship in vain. Happens all the time. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's been you in a season where you know, you know right now in your life, you've taken a part of your heart and you've hardened it against God. You don't want to give it to him. You don't want to surrender it to him. Even though he's asking for it, even though he's trying to convict you for it, you won't give it. But there is a part of God that you do like and that you do value and you gather and you lift up your words, but you worship in vain because your honor with your lips is simply based on your price and your value you've given God. And God says, I am to be worshiped. Because I'm the Lord, your God, and there are no other gods. Worship, worship and the heart go together. First Corinthians 14 says this in the context about speaking in tongues. He says, tongues then are a sign, not for a believer, but for unbelievers. Listen, if we just practice that verse right there, most of the speaking in tongues would change. All right. He says, but tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. He goes on to say prophecy, right? That word, that word means to proclaim, to proclaim the word of God. However, is for believers, not for unbelievers. He goes on to say this. If the whole church comes together and everybody speaks in tongues, he says this, some who do not understand the tongue or some unbelievers come in, he says, they will, will they not say that you people are out of your mind? Happens all the time, right? Then he says this, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is what? prophesying, proclaiming the word of God, he says that person will be convinced by all that he is a what? 
sinner and will be judged by all. And then he says this, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And then guess what happens? He'll fall down and what? Worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You want to know how the heart works? The heart has to repent the part, the heart has to acknowledge its sin before God, before worship could ever happen. Listen, and there are, there are, listen, this is, this is for those of you that don't know Jesus, who've never accepted Jesus, right? Listen, your heart, your heart has been hardened to God. If you've never accepted Jesus, your heart is hard. And the only way to truly worship God is to surrender that heart in repentance and confession to God. To see him for who he is. Not what he can do for you. Not what he has done for you. But for who he is. But for those of us who know Jesus. Who have accepted Jesus. There are seasons we walk in where our heart gets hard. Yes or no? We all know that. We all know the struggle of walking in seasons where our heart is hard. And you know what a lot of us do? When our hearts are hard, we still come to church. And we still seek the Lord. And we worship in vain. Even though we honor him with our lips. Because we're trying But until the heart is broken before God, until the heart repents of its sin and confesses it, there's no true worship. He says it this way in Matthew 14. So Jesus has fed the 5,000. The boys are on the boat. It's the middle of the night. And Jesus comes walking across the water in the middle of the night. And they're freaked out. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. They're freaked out, right? These are fishermen. But the, but the manifestation of this thing on the water at three in the morning freaked them out. It says, come, Jesus said. Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes toward Jesus. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus' response is, he reaches out his hand first, because Jesus always, always, everybody say the word always, Jesus always deals with our humanity first. Always our humanity first. You want to serve Jesus and minister to people? Deal with their humanity first. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. The first thing Jesus did was what? Saved him. And then he said, you of what? Little faith. Why did you doubt? And it says this, when they climbed into the boat, Peter and Jesus, the wind dies down. And guess what happens? Those people who are in the boat, what? Worshipped him. They bowed down and they said, truly, you're the son of God. Now, Mark puts a little more into this. Mark's story in Mark 6 says this, gives us a little extra detail. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and they cried out. Because they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them and says, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbs into the boat with them. He leaves the whole story. Mark leaves the whole story of Peter out because Mark is writing the account for Peter. And Peter doesn't want the story in there. Makes sense, right? Right? Don't put that story in there about me, Mark. Right? He climbs in the boat with them. Listen to this. And the wind died down. And they were completely amazed. And we know that they worshipped him from Matthew's account. But listen to what what was in the way 
before they worshiped. For they had not understood about the loaves, about the miracle they had just seen. They didn't comprehend God in that story. And their hearts were what? Hardened. Listen, worship at our heart are absolutely intertwined. You can praise. Listen, you can honor God with your lips and your heart can still be hard. If you want to worship God for who he is, you have to always acknowledge your sin. Amen, church? So listen, if, you, if you're here and you're watching online, listen, if you're in a situation or a, a season of your life where your heart is hard, listen, you, I, I don't have to say anything to you. The pastors don't have to say anything to you. Your family doesn't have to say anything to you. Thanks, Meg. What's, I don't, what's that say? All I see is an animal. Looks like a bear. Oh, let's kick this pig. All right. Thank you, Meg. Right? Everybody give Meg Hale a hand. Right? Our hearts, our hearts in worship go together. And if you're in a season where your heart is hard, right? When you're in a season where your heart is hard, listen, it needs repentance and confession. Because everything that comes from our lips in those seasons... They simply are ascribing a value to God that's not worship. Because that worship, that act is in vain. You and God are always at odds when your heart is hardened before him. Does everybody understand that, church? Here's the last thing real quick. Skip that knee of mine. Let's go to the last one. Worship and service. So how many of you have been at Tomoka for 10 plus years? All right. Online, thank you for raising your hands. Years and years ago, we used to say this phrase all the time. It was a phrase that stuck out to me when I came from my first service 13 years ago. And this phrase was said almost every weekend from the stage. Worship one and what? Those of you that have been here should have heard this. Worship one and what? Serve one. Everybody say that with me. Worship one and serve one. That's a phrase we're going to start saying because in January, we're going to add a fourth service to our weekend. And we're going to go 4.30, 6.30 on Saturday and 9.30 and 11.30 on Sunday. Because one of the issues that we're running into is that people are showing up on Saturday to serve, but they're never coming back to worship. They're never coming back to a, to a praise and worship service. And listen, we need your voice. We need your hands to put the spotlight on God. We love that you serve, but worship and service go together just like a worship and a heart go together. It's just that the heart has to come before worship, but service has to come after. Paul said it this way. He said, therefore, in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. So something in you has got to die, right? You, you're still alive. Here you are. I see you, right? But something in you, you're laying down and sacrificing to God, meaning you're killing it. Right? You're getting rid of its power. He says, listen to what that is. He says, that's holy and that's pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of what? Worship. Now, here's the thing about that Greek word, worship. It's not the same, right? It's not the same Greek word for bowing down. That word, bring that verse back up if you don't mind, David. That word worship there is the Greek word latruo. And what latruo means, it means you go out and hire a technician who's qualified to do work for you. That means when your AC breaks down, you don't hire a chef to fix your AC unit. When your AC unit breaks down, you hire a qualified AC, right? 
person who comes out and fixes it. Yes or no? My daughter's starter is going out her car. She lives in Tampa. So I got to drive to Tampa, get her car, and bring it back here so that the gentleman who I use to fix things can fix it. She said to me, hey, don't worry about it. My boyfriend's friend thinks he can fix it. And you know what I said to that? No. Because the only question I asked was, is he a certified mechanic? And she said, no. So I said, I'll drive over after church tonight and get that car so it can be fixed tomorrow by a certified auto mechanic. You know why? Because when you need that work done, you hire somebody who's a skilled technician. Now listen to this. He said, you and I present our bodies to God as living sacrifices. Meaning something in here has power and it shouldn't and it has to die. He said, when you do that, he said, that's pleasing to God and it's your spiritual act of worship. Latruo, meaning you're now, listen to this, you're now a qualified technician that can be hired and used by God. And from that, worship and service go together. So it's the heart that leads to worship that makes us qualified to serve Jesus. That's what happens. Because he says when you go on, look at verse 2. He said when you do that, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you have ever struggled with knowing what God's will is for your life? Anybody? Of course you have. Right? He want to, you want to know how he says you can test and approve what it is? He says you die to yourself. Become a living sacrifice. That then makes you qualified to serve. And when you serve, don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. Transform who you are through this thing right here. And when you do that, you'll be able to know God's will just like that. You won't have any trouble with it. We got too many people trying to guess what the will of the Lord is for their life. And they've never even died to themselves. They've never made themselves qualified to even be able to do that. You see, the people that God most wants in service aren't the people that say yes to service. It's the people that say yes to surrendering their heart to him. Because when we surrender to God, our worship is to him. And in that worship, we become qualified. Those are the people that God uses. Hebrews 9 says it this way. He says, it's a first, this is about the tabernacle. He says, now the first covenant had regulations for what? For worship and an earthly sanctuary. He says, a tabernacle was set up in the first room where the lampstand, the table, consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. He says, behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense, the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold uh, jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. He goes on to say, above the ark were the cherubim, right, or the angels of the glory, overshadowing, overshadowing the atonement cover. He said, but we can't discuss these things in detail. This is, then listen to what he says. When everything had been arranged like this, he says this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their what? Latruo, their service. 
You see, when worship is in order, when the holy place is right and the most holy place is right, guess what can happen? You then, as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, can step into service for the king. Because that's when we become qualified. Worship is first and foremost a heart thing. And worship from the right heart qualifies us in service of the king. Does that make sense to you, church? Listen, worship is an amazing thing. Because it's based upon who God is and nothing else. Our praise, man, our praise is based upon that God's response to us. And we put the spotlight on him. To make sure that everybody who lives in Ormond and everybody who lives in Volusia County and everybody who lives in Florida and everybody who lives across the nation knows who God is. And the more of us that do it together, God keeps his promise that he inhabits the praise of his people. We're going to end tonight by standing and we're going to read Psalm 150 together. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read these six verses out of Psalm 150. The psalmist ends it with these words. So if you're online or in here, let's read this together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you, church.